I hope everyone's new year is off to a good start. Um, I promise you it is, uh, even if it hasn't felt like it, you're here. God's given you today. Uh, as, as the very old song goes, this is a day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Yeah, it's very simple. It's a simple way to, to live life. Are there problems? Yes. Will there be more? Yes. Difficulties? Yes. Struggles? Yes. But every moment can be a joy if we allow it. And that's kind of our role in this. We're starting a new series today. Um, something that just kind of came across my path a few, about a month ago or so as we're working through Christmas stuff and, and trying to figure out how to start this new year together as a church. And so I, I came across a, an idea and I, I talked to Ken. I said, hey, Ken, how about, would you be willing to take one of these weeks and how about this week? And so here in a couple of weeks, Ken's going to fill in. And then as I begin to tell you a little bit about the, 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 uh, the missionaries that, that uh, we raise money for on the, the day before the new year, the last day of the year, the Tharp family, I thought, actually, we'd like for them to come and visit. And that, there's a topic within this series that would just be perfect for exactly what they're doing. You'll understand what that is here in a minute. I told you this week I would give you an update, and so I'll give you what I believe is the final official update. We raised just a little over $4,500 for the Tharp family. So well, very well done. Very well done. We thank you for that. They needed 3000 for their uh, linguistics training, if you will, in country once they arrive there. Hopefully this fall is when they're going to be uh, landing over there. And so uh, I don't know what that other will be used for, but I'm sure they will share that with you when they get an opportunity to come. All right. So, so excited for them. And I don't know if uh, he said he was going to check online, but I haven't revealed those things. So I have not called them yet to talk to them and let them know the great news. And so I look forward to doing that this week uh, and, and sharing that with them because that is incredible. What a blessing. For them. One last thing. They've got a big, long spreadsheet, checklist of things that they've got to do and accomplish before they go. And obviously, all of these financial things are all a part of that list. And so there's a big one that they can just check right off and, and be done with. All right. So, so anyway, what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks is the idea of a transformational church. A transformational church. Just keep in mind that uh, the church is what Jesus established to transform the world. That's its purpose. That's why it exists. That's why he left it here after he ascended to heaven. It's a huge thing. The idea of the church being the vessel that God uses to transform those that are a part of it. The idea that God uses the church to transform the community in which their people reside. The idea that God uses the church to transform literally the world around us. It's an incredible topic. It's an incredible idea. And so what we're going to do is talk about some ways that we can become this transformational force within our community, within our world. You see, this is who God wants us to be. This is who we desire to be as the leadership of the church. And I pray that you as, as members and part of this church desire this exact same thing. I'll continue to remind you, we will never become who God wants us to be by remaining who we are. And so for those of us that long for our church to be the exact same as it's always been, then you're longing for the wrong thing because we should continually transform into his image. His image is, is constant. It's absolute, yes, but we will never achieve that in this lifetime. It's a lifelong process becoming more and more and more like our Jesus. 
All we have to do is first begin by accepting that invitation from God to join him in this transformational process, to accept his son, Jesus, as our personal Lord and Savior, and then, filled with his spirit, he alone can begin that transformational process within us. Keyword: begin that transformational process. We cannot become who God wants us to be without God. It can't work. It can't happen. You might have experienced this. You might have even shared Jesus with someone, and their response to you was something to the effect of, well, that, that's neat, that's great, but I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. There's some things in my life I need to work out first before I can come to your Jesus. No. No, 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 and no, and no with a side of no to that whole concept, that idea. The first step in coming to Jesus is coming to Jesus period, the end of discussion. Then through his spirit, that transformation begins. Becoming a transformational church begins with this. Each one of us allowing God to transform us from the inside out. There's a passage, one of my favorite in all of scripture, Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 8. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not anything you've done, folks. It's a gift, a gift of God, not by works so that no man can boast. For we are God's handiwork or craftsmanship or masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. If you belong to God, God is at work in you. He is actively working through his spirit to change you or attempt to change you, to form you into who he wants you to be. Now, there's a big, giant religious word for this. It's that word sanctification. Funny story behind a big, giant word. It's made of two Latin words which simply mean to make holy. That's actually probably a lot easier to think about than the big word sanctification. Our lives have now been set apart to be used by God for his purposes. And that moment begins when we first confess our faith in Jesus Christ and we receive that gift of the Holy Spirit. Then God begins to take and shape and mold you into what, and, and with whatever you're willing to give him. And that's the problem. The more we give to God, the greater the transformation that takes place. The more you and I hold on to, the slower that change can take place. You might say, but pastor, but pastor, I, 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 that changes. I'm a sinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how can I tell that God is at work in me? Well, there's an old story about a young lady who accepted Christ as her Lord and Savior, and she applied for membership in her local church. One of the leadership of that local church, as she went through this process, asked, well, were you a sinner before you received the Lord Jesus into your life? And she replied, well, yes. Yes, I was, sir. Well, are you still a sinner, he asked. She said, to tell you the truth, I feel like I'm a greater sinner than ever before. And his question naturally was, well, then what real change have you experienced? He said, uh, she said, I don't really know how to explain it except this. I used to be a sinner that run after sin. Now I'm, I'm saved. I'm, I'm a sinner that's trying to run away from sin. So she was received immediately into that fellowship, and she proved her consistent, through her consistent life, that she was indeed truly 
converted. You see, in that example, what was it that changed? Her mind. It was her way of thinking about things, her perspective, her heart on the issue. She accepted Jesus. He absolutely is her Lord and Savior. His Spirit is within her, and His Spirit helped her see the reality and understand what's happening around her. Paul famously tells us to flee from sin, to run away. Don't stick around. Don't flirt with it. Don't dwell on it. Run. Yeah. This is a transformation of the mind. How do you think about sin as a believer? What is your perspective on sin? Do you run away from it? Or are you always asking God, um, is this okay? How far can I, can I go? You know, I don't really feel like that's really sin anymore in the culture that we live in. Now, here's the thing. If you're a believer in Jesus and you find yourself asking such questions, then that means that you already know the answer. Really. And the truth is, what's happening is you're being tempted and you're losing. And you're trying to find an excuse or a reason to go ahead and follow through with whatever you've been tempted on. Romans 12, verse 1, famously says, Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brother and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but, key word, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, and only then, will you be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We are to be a living sacrifice. Now, if you're not familiar with the sacrificial system, then you might not be aware that usually a sacrifice is, well, dead. Right? It doesn't have much say in what's happening to it, being the sacrifice and all. As a living sacrifice, the rules change. As a living sacrifice, I choose to crawl up on the altar and stay there, devoting my life to God because of what he has done for me. This is holy. This is pleasing to our God. We are set apart. We are holy as his. This is true worship. So things like coming to church, thank you for all being here, hearing the word, giving back to God, studying his word, even praying. These are all ways that we can sacrifice to give back to him. We sacrifice our time we sacrifice our energy, our resources, our lives, our very own lives to live for him and for his glory, to share his word with this unbelieving world all around us, to share his love with those that do not know Jesus yet. I hope you notice the theme of those topics. Everything that I just shared is all about him. It's never, ever, ever about me. It's not about my needs. God knows my needs. He'll provide for my needs. It's not about my desires. God knows the desires of my heart. And he will meet those according to his will. It's not about my plans because he knows the plans he has for me. It's truth. He does. I just need to submit to those plans. I must seek his will for my life. And when I do, listen to this description. 
Now, we actually covered this passage in depth on December 4th. And so if you weren't here on December 4th or weren't able to listen, please go back so you can hear a full explanation. I don't have time in this message to give this full explanation. But on December 4th, we talked about this idea. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope in Jesus... We are very bold. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away, but their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But, but... Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, turns to Jesus, the veil is taken away. Now the the Spirit, the Lord is Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Very nice. And And we all, all of us with unveiled faces, when we contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into His image. There's that word again, transformed, with an ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Moses' glory was fading away. We went through that. We discussed that as he neared the end of his life. We are different. We are transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory, a glory that comes from the Lord specifically through his Spirit within us. And some of you have met people like that. Have you met some people that have been so transformed in the Lord that they are almost glowing? They're radioactive. They're contagious. Because they are ever increased, that God's glory is ever increasing in those people. And as we age in the faith, in maturity and numerically, that should continue to grow. And we should glow. If God allows us into our upper years on this earth, there should be people looking at us going, there's something different about that person. That old person is different. What is it? Because they don't look like everyone else. You're being transformed, and you're that much closer to being in his presence. You should be noticeable. We are being transformed. Now, this began in a moment when we accepted Jesus, but it is something that continued to happen ever since that moment, and it will continue until Jesus calls us to be with him. A constant progression throughout our entire lives. We are being transformed into his image with this ever-increasing glory. It's an amazing thing. So the transformational church begins with the transformation that occurs within each one of us. So let me share with you just one example from Scripture today of someone's life who was completely transformed in the early church. Most of our study through this series is going to be through the book of Acts. Coincidence? I think not, since we just got done studying the book of Luke, and Luke happens to be the author of Acts. It's amazing how those things fit. Not doing an in-depth, full book study, but the chapters that we hit, the verses that we hit, will mostly be from the book of Acts over the next few weeks. So we'll be in Acts chapter 3 today, if you want to turn there. And I'm going to ask you a question before we get started. I want you to pick one of three people. I guess technically I'm going to name four. One of four people in the scene. Do you want to be the blind beggar that's healed? Okay, In your mind right now, do you want to be the blind beggar that's healed? As we read this story, do you just want to be a witness? You're just one of those people. You're a fly on the wall in the room. You're just an innocent bystander watching what's going on. Or do you want to be Peter or John? You pick. You pick one of those four. Think about it for a moment here, and we'll get back to it here in just a moment. Who do you want to be in that scene? What we need to keep in mind as believers is when this event occurs. This event occurs on the heels of the Holy Spirit of God being released on planet Earth for the very first time. 
It's just after what we would call Pentecost. The apostles are filled with the Spirit, and they are filled with the gospel of Jesus. It has just been presented for the very first time. He is who, who is who he is, who Jesus is, and what he has just done for all of mankind has just been shared. The church went from almost non-existent, just a few people that had gathered in a room, to more than 3,000 people that have now gathered and officially declared that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. The believers have begun to create this new community, a community committed to God in a very different, brand new way. It's a spiritual family that is committed to one another in a way that mankind had never been committed to one another. There's a famous verse in Acts chapter 2, just before where we begin today. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number those that were being saved daily. Their lives were transformed by what they learned Jesus had done for them. But not just their individual lives. No, 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 it went beyond that. Their lives together in community. They, found a, they had a newfound love for these teachings of Jesus and the Old Testament as well, the law. They longed to hear more. They couldn't get enough. It said they had everything in common. Well, truthfully, they had everything that mattered in common. What didn't matter, they didn't have their race in common. That didn't matter. They didn't have their education levels in common, their income levels in common, their personal likes or dislikes. Nope, none of those things mattered. All that mattered was their pursuit and love for Jesus. They all wanted to get to know him better through the teachings that the apostles were offering. They were unified through the sacrifice that Jesus was willing to make for them. They were unified through these teachings that they were learning about Jesus. They were unified around the concept, the idea of making sure that everyone was taken care of and that the good news was being shared with anyone who would listen. That is what was important and that was what unified the church then. And guess, take a wild guess, what should unify the church today? Yes, the exact same list of things. I, don't, I didn't read politics in there. I, I didn't read personal preface of this or that. I, that's what I read. And if we are focused on those things, we will be unified around those things and people will take notice. So what happened? Well, God blessed them, it said. We're always praying for God's blessing, are we not? I mean, how many times have you heard, God bless America? Abs, we're always asking for God's blessing. Well, you know, that's great that we ask for it. What are we doing to pursue it? What are we doing to pursue God's blessing? Are we pursuing God in the way these people are? Because if we are, if we're pursuing God in those ways, guess what? We'll be blessed. Absolutely, we will, just like they were. And how were they blessed? Well, the Lord was adding to their number daily those that were being saved. You see, transformed people that come together to make up a transformational church will be blessed with the opportunity to offer that same transformation to other people. That same transformational power that's at work within them, they can now give to other people as well through the Spirit of God as they bring them to Jesus. That's a beautiful formula. 
That's a beautiful equation. So now we go to Acts chapter 3. This is sometime after that day of Pentecost, that first gospel message. Some contend it was actually the very next day. We don't have the specifics on it, so that doesn't really matter. So you have yourself at the scene. Are you the lame beggar? Are you just a witness? Probably most of you are just that witness. Or are you Peter or John, the one, you know, acting on behalf of God here? Acts 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. If you chose to be the lame man, so in your mind you're approaching this scene as the lame beggar, what is your mental state? What are you thinking on that day? You're being carried to the same place that you go every single day, likely by the exact same people that carry you every single day. You've been this way from birth, it says. Now, birth, of course, you wouldn't have noticed that there was any difference between you and other babies. But as you grew, clearly, you began to notice the difference that you could not walk for whatever reason. You've now relied upon other people your entire life for everything. You rely on these people to even carry you to a place to get donations. You can earn, you can really do nothing on your own. Maybe that group that takes you, that's a group of very kind friends. They really love and care for you, and this is one of the ways they support you. It's also quite possible that they're a bunch of crooks, and they have to take a cut of every single day's money that you make, if you will, in your donations that are received. We don't know the situation. Every day is the exact same. You see the exact same people pass by nearly every day. Some of those people, very kind, very generous, you can count on them to help you get by. Others, you just don't even bother asking them anymore because you know they won't help. You're always looking for that new face, that person that hasn't heard you day after day after day and is tired of seeing you. Maybe they'll be generous with what they have. Every day starts the same. This day, you see Peter and John. You know, it's possible that this blind beggar has seen Peter and John before because Jesus and his disciples went to the temple all the time. So it's very possible that they might have even had a conversation somewhere. Who knows? Maybe this man had heard about the events that took place, maybe as, as, as soon as yesterday, we don't know, where thousands of people are now claiming to follow this Jesus. But, but you heard that Jesus was, was dead. So why would people do such a thing? It makes no sense. Then these men approach you. And as these men approach you, you know one and only one thing. You need money so that you can live. There's no need to ask for anything else at all on your mind. Verse 3, when Peter and John saw we're about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight as at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Let me go a, a brief side right here. I had a conversation with someone this week. It wasn't an older gentleman. And we were talking, and as we were talking, he, he can't see real well, and he asked me a question. He goes, are you looking at me right now? Is you talking to me? I said, well, yes, sir, I am. He goes, okay. You know, that's a lost art, right? People won't look you in the eye anymore. Have you noticed that? Why? Why? If you're speaking to someone and you genuinely care, they genuinely matter to you, you genuinely are asking a question, look them in the eye. It's okay if you make them uncomfortable. That's all right. Because they're going to see something different in you than they see in anyone else. And when you engage them with even simple eye contact, it's going to tell you that you're listening and that you care. Consequently, when someone's speaking to you, look at them. 
Look them in the eye, even if it makes them uncomfortable, because it lets them know that you're listening and that you care. This is the situation here. Peter could have just said, hey, you, and started talking to him. No, no, no. Hey, look at me. Look me in the eye. You think this beggar looked every single person in the eye? No. A lot of people he probably avoid contact with as well. It is great that Peter and John acknowledge that he's speaking to you if you're the beggar, right? Oh, this guy, these guys know that I'm here. Great. That's a good start because most people just ignore me and walk past. They want you to look back at them even better. Surely they're going to give me something, right? Yay. We're engaging in conversation here. Hopefully there's a gift in it for me. Please keep in mind, this man could have asked for a long list of different items, could he not? But he never would have. He never would have asked to be healed. He never would have asked to walk. You know why? Because that's impossible. He's lived his entire life this way. He's never, ever been able to do that, nor will he ever be able to do that. That is his reality if you're the blind, if you're the beggar sitting at the temple gate. Peter then famously says to him, silver and gold I do not have, but what I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Hmm. You're the beggar sitting on the ground. Uh, hey, man, that first part you're talking about, the silver or gold, actually, that's what I need. Um, so that'd be, wait, you don't have any of that? Uh, yeah, there's really nothing that you can do for me. Get up and walk? Okay. Huh? How exactly is that going to work there? I don't understand where you're coming from. Did you notice Peter's question there to the, to the beggar? Did you notice it? No, because there wasn't one. There was no question here for the beggar. Peter didn't ask the man to get up and walk, did he? Nope. Not at all. It says at verse 7, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet. He began to walk. Peter took him by the hand, pulled him up. The man sprang to his feet for the first time ever. A man that has never stood ever on ever this lifetime under his own power, jumped to his feet and began to walk. That is immediate transformation. But you see, it didn't have to happen. The beggar absolutely could have refused Peter's hand, couldn't he have? Why not? I can't get up. I can't walk. You can't help me. I've never been able to do that. Don't make me try. I might fall. But he didn't. He grabbed hold. He jumped right up and started walking and jumping and singing praises to God. Again, second note, he didn't have to do any of that either. He could have reluctantly taken Peter's hand, stood to his feet, noticed, huh, that's different, and then politely sat right back down in the exact same spot. Why? Well, just to reflect. Wow, hmm, that's pretty neat. I huh, wonder how that's going to change things. He definitely could have done that. That ability would change everything. Maybe he didn't feel like in that moment that he deserved such an incredible, remarkable gift. Maybe he didn't really even want that gift. How could we say that? Well, you see, this is the only life he'd ever known. Change is hard, folks. He didn't like his old lifestyle. It was terrible, but it was all he ever knew. He could have easily kept that miracle to himself. Let's be really honest. Like so many people, 
who accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but will not allow his spirit to transform their lives. This man did something very different. He immediately was completely all in. He went with them into the temple courts, walking, jumping, praising God. Verse 9, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they said, hey, wait a minute. (laughs) Isn't that the guy that was always sitting there begging at the same temple gate called Beautiful? And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had just happened. His transformation was immediate, just like ours immediately begins when we accept Jesus. Now, most of us have been up walking on our own feet quite well most of our lives. And most of us have spent a lot of that time walking in the wrong direction, not a path that leads to death and destruction. And God comes along and wants to change our direction. He wants to change our spirit into his guiding spirit. He wants to send us off jumping and praising God for the transformation that he has begun to make in our lives. This man's willingness to first accept the gift got to do that first, and then take that gift and put it on display for all of mankind that was around him to see immediately had an impact on everybody that was watching. Isn't that the, he's walking. Wait, there's no way he was faking that his entire life, folks. How was he doing that? What happened? How did he do this? Why is he so filled with praise for God? What does God have to do with what just happened? They weren't just curious about what was going on. They had to know. They had to find out how was this man healed. You know, the story can be the same for you. If you allow the Spirit to transform your life, people will see that. And it will be on full display for everyone to see. They won't see you. No, no. They'll wonder what happened to you. And they'll see God at work within you. Here's a problem. Church, People don't see that in us enough. They don't see that transformation. They don't see that change. There's nothing for them to notice. People need to see this. Church, people are dying to see this transformation in your life. They don't know what it means on their own. How can they find out? if we don't have it on display? How can they find out if we are not showing how God is transforming us, if we are not sharing about how God is transforming us? Really simple. Think of it from God's perspective, okay? Very simple, simple, simple little illustration. If you go to the gas gas station, which we all love doing, and your fuel tank's on E, and you go in, and you, you swipe the card, and you, you pump it, you fill it all up, you get back in the car, you start the car, and it's still on E, how exactly would you feel about that moment? Probably, hopefully, hoping that your gas gauge is broke, right? But if that wasn't the case, you would be rather irate and upset about this little issue that you're having, yes? Well, I just wanted to compare that. How do you think God feels about us? As he willingly gave his son for us, and it really doesn't show. You and I invite him into our life, sure, absolutely, but there's absolutely no evidence in our heart that he's there. He's poured everything into us, and we're still reading empty. You see, if you invited Jesus at some point into your life, but you've not allowed that spirit to transform you, you need to look at your heart today. Where is the needle of your spiritual gauge, if you will, of your heart? If Jesus is within you, then your spiritual gauge should always read 100% full. The Spirit's never halfway with you. 
Sorry, it doesn't work that way. He is always constantly there filling us. Are we acknowledging that he's there? Paul gives us some words to really confront us. Examine yourself, church, to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. 2 Corinthians 13.5. Did you know that you and I are supposed to do that daily? We're supposed to examine ourselves. Are we in the faith? Are we allowing God to transform us? We'll never become who God wants us to be by remaining who we are today. If we're the same today as we were yesterday, the day before, the week before, the month before, the decade before, then we are not transforming into his likeness, are we? (laughs) Have you been saved? Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? As the old hymn goes, have you been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? Yes. If so, man, that's awesome. That is awesome. That was the moment. That was the moment. But now are you allowing Jesus to transform you into the new creation that he desires for you to be, living the new life that he desires for you to live, walking in his ways, according to his will? We are to ask ourselves this. But if you've not began that transformational process yet, if you have not accepted Jesus first as your Savior to save you from the punishment that we've all earned because of our sins, if you've not accepted him secondly then as your Lord to guide and direct you throughout this life to transform your life into his image, then I have to tell you, to quote another old hymn, there's power, power, wonder-working power in that precious blood of the lamb that was shed for you. Don't miss this moment today to begin that transformation. And if you're struggling and you just don't feel that transformation, you just haven't fully committed, you haven't allowed God to fully transform your life, even if you accepted him 80 years ago, it doesn't matter. He's not done with you yet. You're still here. He still wants to transform you into his image and your story might be the one that leads, fill in the blank, we don't know who, to Jesus. Do we want to be that transformational church, that transformational community, that transformational body of Christ? If we do, then that transformation begins with me. And when we come together transformed, can you imagine how God will use us to transform this world? He just had 12 to start with, y'all. We got a lot more than 12. Father God, Your word is such a blessing, it's such an encouragement, but it's also a challenge if we read it as such. So many in this room, so many watching online today have accepted you so many years ago. That transformation began so many years ago, but it does, it can get stalled along the way. Barriers in life, difficulties in life, tragedies in life, things happen and they set us back because we're human. Father, if we've been derailed in any way, if that transformational process has stalled, if there are still parts of our life that we have not allowed you to transform yet, let today be the day that the Spirit moves us to come forward and confess those things to you and I beg you to transform those areas of our lives as well. Father, let no tiny little corner of our mind, of our heart, of our body not be transformed by your spirit within us. Give it over to you today. I know there's people today holding tightly onto parts of their life. Yes, they love you. Yes, they've accepted you as their savior, but you are not ruling their life yet. You are not Lord of their entire life yet. So I pray that your spirit today confronts them 
to come forward and give that last part or parts of their life over to you and allows that transformation, that healing transformation to begin. Father, if there's those of us in the room that have that transformed life, but we're just not showing it, we're not sharing it with other people, we gotta quit being so selfish. There's somebody that we're in contact with every single day that needs to see that transformation, that needs to know why we are different than they are. What is it that's caused this change in our life? And we have to be willing to share it. It is the difference potentially between an eternity apart from you in hell and an eternity with you in heaven. And Father, none of us want to be so selfish as to keep the story you've given us away from someone in such a dire need. Father, may your spirit move within us in these days and weeks and months and years to come to share that story with those that are willing to listen. And Father, if there's someone in our midst today, whether again online or in person, that doesn't know the transformational power of the blood of the Lamb, then today is the day for them to know that there's someone who created them. Someone, no matter what they've done, no matter where they've been, no matter what decision they've made, words they've spoke, loves them. It doesn't just love them and say that they love them, but loves them and gave their very own life to forgive them of those wrongs that they have committed, those things that they have done wrong, that lifestyle that they're leading. They gave their life to save them from that and to offer them a new chance, a new life to be transformed into his image. They've never accepted that gift, then today is the day. The water's ready. Your spirit's ready to join them immediately. And it is your spirit alone that will convict them and move them into a place where they want to come to you. Father, the rest of service is open for these opportunities for people to come and respond to your words of challenge and transformation. Jesus, we love you.